Hello, this is Michael Schatz, Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Allergy and Clinical Immunology in Practice. It is my pleasure to present to you the highlights of our October 2020 issue. The theme of the issue is delabeling patients from drug allergy, and we thank editorial board members Kim Blumenthal and Elizabeth Phillips for serving as coordinators for this theme. The issue contains an outstanding CME-eligible clinical management review on penicillin allergy delabeling, two very instructive CME-eligible clinical commentary reviews on tackling the patient with multiple drug allergies and delabeling delayed drug hypersensitivity, a very valuable chief complaint review on balancing cancer immunotherapy efficacy and toxicity, and an enlightening controversies in allergy review on chemotherapy reactions, desensitize or delabel. A very insightful theme editorial by theme coordinators Kim Blumenthal and Elizabeth Phillips does a terrific job of summarizing and contextualizing these theme review articles. In addition to the theme review articles, there are other very important review and feature articles in this issue. There are two rostra regarding COVID-19 and food allergy, an expert panel report on the clinical practice of allergen immunotherapy for allergic rhinoconjunctivitis and asthma, a CME clinical management review on seminal plasma hypersensitivity and approach to treatment, and clinical commentary reviews on the topics of questionnaires assessing the quality of life in ocular allergy patients and the advantages and side effects of commonly used adjuvant human vaccines. A supplement to the October issue, entitled Practical Guidance for the Evaluation and Management of Drug Hypersensitivity, discusses general concepts and provides a comprehensive compendium of diagnosis and management guidance for the evaluation of allergy to more than 300 specific drugs. Now let's explore the original articles in this issue, which are on the subjects of drug allergy, anaphylaxis, asthma, food allergy, immunodeficiency, mast cell disorders, rhinitis, and urticaria and angioedema. Here are the highlights of the 24 original articles in the October 2020 issue. The first article is Patient Characteristics and Concerns About Drug Allergy, a report from the United States Drug Allergies Registry by Blumenthal et al. What is already known about this topic? Little is known regarding patient perspectives of drug allergies, particularly in the United States. Identification of patient concerns may be important to improve the approach to patients with drug allergy and determine barriers to the clinical effectiveness of drug allergy assessments. What does this article add to our knowledge? Patients presenting for drug allergy assessments were concerned about their potential options for medical treatments, having an allergic reaction, and seeking a diagnosis. Concerns were greater with higher age, more reported drug allergies, higher regular antibiotic use, and specific reactions, notably mouth or palate itching. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Drug allergy patient concerns can inform doctor-patient discussions and clinical approaches. 
Concerns can be incorporated into questionnaires and or quality of life assessments for patients with drug allergies in the United States. The next article is Inpatient Electronic Consultations, e-consults in Allergy Immunology by Mustafa et al. What is already known about this topic? There are outpatient data for electronic consultations, e-consults, in allergy immunology, but no data for inpatient allergy immunology consultations. What does this article add to our knowledge? We demonstrate that allergy immunology patient e-consults are feasible, potentially less costly, and maintain requesting provider satisfaction for certain conditions. How does this study impact current management guidelines? E-consults are a strategy to improve allergy immunology access in inpatient settings and are particularly relevant during the novel coronavirus infection pandemic. The next article is Usefulness of an Artificial Neural Network in the Prediction of Beta-Lactam Allergy by Moreno et al. What is already known about this topic? a significant percentage of patients erroneously claim to be allergic to beta-lactams. This is associated with worse results in case of severe infections. In urgent situations, artificial neural networks could help us to use beta-lactams in patients allergic to beta-lactams. What does this article add to our knowledge? Artificial intelligence and machine learning have been developing to assist doctors in decision-making situations. We present a highly performing artificial neural network in cases of beta-lactam allergy without misdiagnosis of severe cases. How does this study impact current management guidelines? The use of artificial neural networks with high performance in emergencies could facilitate the decision of whether to give beta-lactams to patients claiming to be allergic. They could help also in risk stratification. The next article is Increasing Allergy-Related Emergency Department Visits in the United States 2007-2015 by Carrillo Martin et al. What is already known about this topic? Allergic conditions are frequently diagnosed and treated in emergency departments, EDs, in the United States, and evidence suggests that they may be increasing in recent years. What does this article add to our knowledge? There was a 14% overall increase in allergy-related ED visits between 2007 and 2015 in the United States. How does this study impact current management guidelines? The increase in allergy-related ED visits shown by this study further reinforces the need for up-to-date and evidence-based guidelines for the emergency management of these conditions. The next article is Effects of Aerobic Training versus Breathing Exercises on Asthma Control, a randomized trial by Evaristo et al. What is already known about this topic? There is evidence suggesting that both breathing exercises and aerobic training are appropriate adjuvant therapies to improve asthma control. What does this article add to our knowledge? This is the first study to compare the effects of these two non-pharmacological treatments for asthma control with a higher level of evidence. How does this study impact current management guidelines? 
aerobic training and breathing exercises induce similar effects in asthma control, psychological distress, and airway inflammation. However, participants in the aerobic training group were 2.6 times more likely to experience clinical improvement based on the asthma control questionnaire after three months follow-up. The next article is Treatment Eligibility of Real-Life Mepolizumab-Treated Severe Asthma Patients by Richards et al. What is already known on this topic? Many patients with severe asthma not meeting criteria of clinical trials investigating mepolizumab are treated with this biological and clinical practice. It is unknown whether these patients respond differently to therapy when compared with trial patients. What does this article add to our knowledge? Our results indicate that patients deemed ineligible for trial participation could reduce their maintenance oral corticosteroid dosage under mepolizumab therapy to a similar extent as trial patients included in the serious trial using identical therapeutic endpoints. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Our findings suggest that novel biological therapies may benefit a broader severe asthma population than initially described in randomized controlled clinical trials. The next article is Use of National Asthma Guidelines by Allergists and Pulmonologists, a national survey by Cloutier et al. What is already known about this topic? Asthma specialists have higher adherence to asthma guidelines than general practitioners. Yet little is known whether guideline agreement and adoption vary between allergists and pulmonologists at the national level. What does this article add to our knowledge? Guideline agreement and self-efficacy did not differ between specialist groups, and both groups had relatively low percentages who almost always provided asthma action plans or regularly assessed the inhaler technique. Adherence differences were explained by practice-specific differences. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Improving understanding of factors and clinical decision-making underlying lower adherence to guideline recommendations and different adherence patterns between allergists and pulmonologists could better inform guideline recommendations with respect to specialist practice characteristics and patient populations. The next article is Aeroallergen Sensitization, Serum IgE, and eosinophilia as predictors of response to omelizumab therapy during the fall season among children with persistent asthma by Sheehan et al. What is already known about this topic? Omelizumab is an effective therapy to reduce the frequency of asthma exacerbations in inner-city children. However, there is a paucity of studies investigating biomarkers to identify which children may benefit the most from this intervention. What does this article add to our knowledge? In preventing fall season asthma exacerbations, treatment with omelizumab was most beneficial in children and adolescents with a greater degree of allergic inflammation defined by either aeroallergen sensitization status, serum IgE, or serum eosinophils. How does this study impact current management guidelines? In an era of precision medicine with high costs for biologic therapies, 
These findings will assist providers' decision-making when considering omalizumab for a specific patient. The next article is Elevated Testosterone is Associated with Decreased Likelihood of Current Asthma Regardless of Sex by Bokai et al. What is already known about this topic? Sex hormones may underlie the sex disparities observed in asthma. What does this article add to our knowledge? Serum testosterone inversely associates with current asthma prevalence and correlates with greater lung function in a nationally representative data set. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Androgen therapy should be further evaluated in asthma. The next article is Effectiveness of Home Visits in Adult Patients with Asthma, a Systematic Review of Randomized Controlled Trials by Munisferio et al. What is already known about this topic? The effectiveness of home visit programs in improving asthma control among children has been well established and proven to be cost effective. However, evidence in adult patients with asthma is limited. What does this article add to our knowledge? The present systematic review highlights that home visits have the potential to improve outcomes in adult patients with asthma. They may serve as an adjuvant activity that complements existing healthcare system-based initiatives. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Further studies are needed to explore the full potentials of home visits among adult patients with asthma before the management guidelines can make appropriate recommendations. The next article is A Gap Between Asthma Guidelines and Management for Adolescents and Young Adults by Udling et al. What is already known about this topic? Clinical guidelines for management of asthma exist, but adherence to them is generally low. For adolescents, asthma management can be challenging during the transition to adulthood. What does this article add to our knowledge? Asthma-related healthcare consultations were fewer than recommended in guidelines and decreased after the transition to adult health care. Almost no one had regular asthma treatment dispensed during the transition process. How does this study impact current management guidelines? There is a gap between asthma guidelines and actual management. Increased adherence to current guidelines is required when planning for optimal care of adolescents and young adults and their process of transition. The next article is Egg Allergy in U.S. Children by Samadhi et al. What is already known about this topic? Past studies found that egg allergy affects 0.8% of U.S. children. Further characterization of egg allergy among U.S. children is necessary to help create appropriate management guidelines. What does this article add to our knowledge? Egg allergy prevalence is 0.9% among all children and 1.3% among children less than five years. Among egg allergic children, 64.2% reported baked egg tolerance and 60.2% had allergy to other foods. In addition, baked egg tolerance was associated with a significantly higher quality of life. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Increased efforts are needed to ensure that children with egg allergy 
are appropriately evaluated to assess for comorbid food allergy, other atopic disease, and baked egg tolerance. The next article is Predictors of Food Sensitization in Children and Adults Across Europe by Lyons et al. What is already known about this topic? Prevalence of food sensitization varies considerably across Europe and is reported to be on the rise. Environmental influences are likely, but studies investigating currently conceived environmental predictors for food sensitization are lacking. What does this article add to our knowledge? This is the first study evaluating the main postulated environmental risk factors for food sensitization using a standardized approach in both children and adults across Europe. Mutually adjusted associations between primarily early life exposures and food sensitization are revealed. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Dog ownership appears to protect against childhood food sensitization, but other environmental factors appear to have more limited impact on the prevalence of food sensitization in European children and adults. The next article is Collagen, an important fish allergen for improved diagnosis by Kallik et al. What is already known about this topic? Clinical relevance of fish collagen for fish allergic patients is poorly understood, likely due to its low abundance in commercial diagnostic tests. Patients may be exposed to such collagens via pharmaceutical products, food, beverages, and cosmetics. What does this article add to our knowledge? We demonstrated the potential clinical relevance of sensitization to fish collagen in fish allergic patients, some of whom were not sensitized to the major fish allergen parvalbumin. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Current diagnostic tests for fish allergy contain low quantities of collagen due to its insolubility in aqueous solutions. Inclusion of collagen in diagnostic tests is indicated to improve patient safety. The next article is low frequency of IgE-mediated food hypersensitivity in mastocytosis by Jarkvist et al. What is already known about this topic? Patients with clonal mast cell disorders convey increased risk for severe anaphylaxis, particularly to hymenoptera venoms. However, it has not been systematically investigated whether these patients may also develop more often anaphylaxis to certain foods. What does this article add to our knowledge? The estimated frequency of food hypersensitivity is comparable with that in the general population and most reactions are mild and non-IgE mediated. Severe anaphylaxis from foods in patients with clonal mast cell disorders exists. However, foods are less frequent elicitors than insect venoms. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Our results do not support the elimination of any diet in patients with clonal mast cell disorders without a history of food hypersensitivity. The next article is a novel, complete autosomal recessive STAT1 LOF variant causes immunodeficiency with hemophagocytic lymphohistocytosis-like hyperinflammation 
by Bomer et al. What is already known about this topic? Complete signal transducer and activation of transcription 1, STAT 1, loss of function, LOF, leads to severe viral infections. What does this article add to our knowledge? A homozygous autosomal recessive mutation causes STAT1 LOF. We propose a pathophysiological model for the association of viral infections and hemophagocytic lymphohistiocytosis-like hyperinflammation in complete autosomal recessive STAT1 LOF. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Complete STAT1 LOF can be diagnosed by defective programmed cell death 1 ligand 1 upregulation on monocytes or CXC motif chemokine 10 secretion via ELISA after IFN stimulation in vitro. Early functional diagnosis of STAT1 LOF and targeted therapy may improve patient outcomes. The next article is Clinical Phenotype, Immunological Abnormalities, and Genomic Findings in Patients with DeGeorge Spectrum Phenotype Without 22Q11.2 Deletion by Cirillo et al. What is already known about this topic? A few patients with suspicious 22Q11.2 deletion syndrome, 22Q11.2DS, do not have the typical DeGeorge deletion. In these patients, the clinical features and the immunological abnormalities are not well defined. What does this article add to our knowledge? The majority of patients had immunological abnormalities suggestive of T-cell development disorder with a severe phenotype in a few of them. New genomic regions associated with features of 22Q11.2DS were identified. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Extensive immunological assessment is helpful in all patients with a 22Q11.2DS phenotype, even in the absence of the typical cytogenetic alteration. The next article is Importance of Adequate Diagnostic Workup for correct diagnosis of advanced systemic mastocytosis by Schwab et al. What is already known about this topic? Little is known about the epidemiology of advanced systemic mastocytosis given the heterogenic nature of the disease. What does this article add to our knowledge? We describe epidemiologic aspects and potential pitfalls in the diagnostic workup of advanced systemic mastocytosis in Germany, contributing to a better understanding and increased awareness of the disease. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Potential signs of advanced systemic mastocytosis should be taken into consideration more frequently in the diagnostic workup of suspected indolent systemic mastocytosis. Testing for serum tryptase levels and kit D816V should be implemented in the routine workup of mastocytosis. The next article is Add-on Omalizumab for Inadequately Controlled Severe Polynosis Despite Standard of Care, a Randomized Study by Akubo et al. 
What is already known about this topic? Omalizumab has previously proven to be effective in allergic rhinitis, including cedarpollinosis, but the effect of add-on omalizumab for inadequately controlled cedarpollinosis allergic rhinitis despite standard of care is unknown. What does this article add to our knowledge? Our randomized placebo-controlled phase 3 study provides the first evidence that in patients with inadequately controlled severe cedarpollinosis despite standard of care, add-on omalizumab led to consistent efficacy in improving symptoms, quality of life, work productivity, and was well tolerated. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Our study results indicate that omalizumab could be a new promising treatment option for patients with inadequately controlled severe cedarpollinosis allergic rhinitis and optimize the overall management of these patients. The next article is Symptomatic Dermatographism, a Systematic Review of Treatment Options by Colthanen et al. What is already known about this topic? Symptomatic dermatographism is the most common type of chronic inducible urticaria. Little is known about the available treatment options and their efficacy. The recommended first-line therapy for symptomatic dermographism patients is second-generation H1 antihistamines. What does this article add to our knowledge? The available studies are heterogeneous, usually old, small, and often unrepeated, indicating a need for better studies. No studies exist on updosing of second-generation H1 antihistamines compared with the standard dosage in symptomatic dermographism. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Second-generation H1 antihistamines should be the first-line treatment of symptomatic dermographism. In uncontrolled cases, a combination of H1 antihistamines and H2 antihistamines, or the updosing of second-generation H1 antihistamines may be considered. Omalizumab should be added for recalcitrant patients. The last article is Association Between Self-Reported Dental Hygiene Practices and Dental Procedure-Related Recurrent Angioedema Attacks in HAE Subjects, a Multicenter Study by Singh et al. What is already known about this topic? Dental procedures may trigger an angioedema attack in hereditary angioedema, HAE, patients with moderate to severe disease. What does this article add to our knowledge? One of the most significant covariates that are significantly associated with recurrent angioedema attacks in patients with HAE is the frequency of routine preventive dental visits among these patients. How does this study impact current management guidelines? For patients with HAE, routine preventive dental visits every six months may be preferable. However, to make this a recommendation for routine clinical practice, randomized controlled trials or self-controlled pre- and post-intervention assessments combined with assessments of their dental providers investigating the association between the frequency of dental visits and severity of periodontal gingival disease with recurrent angioedema attacks 
should be conducted. Thank you for listening to the highlights of the October 2020 issue of the Journal of Allergy and Clinical Immunology in Practice. I hope you find this issue beneficial for you and your patients.